Welcome to Being Better Podcast, where we explore the things that make us happier, wiser, and more productive beings. Hi, my name is Julia, and I am your host. Every week, I take a concept, a technique, or a story to learn how it will make us better. I hope that this show can help you become the person you've always wanted to be. So, here we go. Welcome back or welcome to Being Better Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I'm very happy you are here and I hope you are having a lovely day. I gotta say, I am very proud of this episode and not because of the quality, although it is very good, by the way. And no, what I mean is that I was extremely, extremely excited to talk with this week's guest. I had the pleasure to talk with Lara Kamal, an astrophysicist and an absolute badass woman who worked at places like NASA and CERN and now is getting her PhD at Berkeley. Uh, Lara is originally from Iraq and she immigrated to the US with her family as a teenager because of the war that was happening in Iraq. Although it wasn't easy, which you will learn about in this episode, she became a scientist in a country that she couldn't speak the language of just a couple of years back. She now specializes in studying supermassive black holes, and if that wasn't enough, she also recently started a podcast where she explains complex astrophysical concepts to newbies like me. She is such an inspiring and beautiful soul and I loved talking with her about very important topics like gender equality in STEM fields, becoming an astrophysicist as an immigrant in a foreign country and getting over multiple setbacks that she experienced in her journey. We also discussed some of the latest astrophysical breakthroughs and if outer space can be an answer to humanity's problem with running out of resources and sustainability. This conversation was like food to my brain and I think you will like it as well. I have so, so many great things to say about Lara, but I don't want to keep you from listening to her any longer, so I'm going to shut up now and let Julia from the past speak instead. Enjoy! Lara, you have no idea how much I've been looking forward to this conversation. As some of the listeners might know, I just recently got really into astrophysics and understanding space and therefore I have so many questions uh, about that but also about you and I think you are such an inspiration in so many ways and I just want to really thank you for taking the time to come here on the show. Hi Julia, thank you so much for inviting me here. I am extremely excited to be here uh, and to be able to share my story and also my journey in astrophysics. How have you been doing today? It's been a great day so far. Uh, It's a sunny day here in Washington, D.C., which is exciting because uh, it's been cold for the past few weeks. So today is a sunny day. Yeah, sun makes everything better. I think I have somewhat of a um, SAD, uh, seasonal affective disorder. Uh, So Uh, when it's cold and when it's cloudy, I think 
something is wrong. I just see all the things that, you know, used to bring me joy are just like, meh. But, you know, (laughs) it was sunny here also. And yeah, I think it makes everything better. Uh, But for the listeners who haven't had the chance to learn about you yet uh, and your work, would you mind saying a couple of words about who you are and also about the work that you you are currently doing? Yeah, of course. Um, So hi, everyone. My name is Lara Kamal and I am from Baghdad, Iraq. I currently live in the Washington, D.C. area and I am an astrophysics student. Um, I recently got accepted to uh, pursue a PhD in physics at UC Berkeley, which is really exciting. Uh, And my current research is on studying supermassive black holes by applying machine learning algorithms to them. Okay, that's amazing. I think think it's very, very inspirational. And then we're going to get into your whole uh, story. Um, But before we get into all of my questions, and there will be a lot of them, (laughs) I would just like to take a moment and talk about the recommendations of this week. Because, Lara, uh, at the beginning of each episode, I ask the guest to recommend something to the listeners that they've been enjoying recently it can be a book a movie product podcast just something that you think that the listeners might find interesting or educational or just simply pleasant um just don't overthink it and pick something that you've been into right lately so just what can you recommend to us so i would like to recommend a book that i have been reading called How to Think Like a Monk by Jay Shetty. And it's about how to train your mind with peace and purpose every day and living a fulfilling life. I mean, this book is incredible. I have learned so much, so much from him. Uh, So inspiring, so powerful, really helps you to think about your purpose here on life. Um, Think about how to live your life uh, with purpose every day. Yeah, I've heard about this book. I hadn't had the chance to get into it yet, but I heard a lot of good things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally don't really know the guy, Jay Shetty, uh, but I've picked up about his story a bit that that he, uh, you know, was living as an American, then uh, went to become a monk. And it's a bit... Uh, mm-hmm. The story is similar to Jack Cornfield. Okay, I'm just going to <laughs> on all of these tangents. Anyway, thank you so much for that recommendation. Um, of all of the links, so I will probably link the book on Amazon, will be in the episode description. So go there and also go there for all the things that Lara does. Her podcast and her Instagram also will be linked in the episode description. With that all out of the way um let's get to all the things um so from my understanding you have grown up in Iraq right exactly yes and was it there when you were a little girl in Iraq uh where your journey with astrophysics started and just have you always been interested in outer space or has that passion developed later on in your life That's a great question. Um, So for me, when I lived in Iraq, um, I lived in a family of upper middle class family. So I I lived a 
a good life. Uh, I went to school like everybody else. I lived a comfortable life until the war started in 2003. And when the war started, it was very, very difficult for everybody. So my family and I decided to migrate to Syria. And then when I actually became interested in astrophysics. So um, I remember uh, when we were getting ready to leave, I hopped on an immigrant's bus with my family. So my family and I basically wanted to take that bus and go to Syria. And during that journey, uh, the bus stopped in the middle of the night, in the middle of the desert, and um, it was the perfect weather to observe the night sky. So it was cold, dry, dark, away from light pollution, and I stepped outside. I was a kid with a completely broken soul, um, very afraid of the war, and I stepped out and I saw billions of stars in that sky, and I was so fascinated by it. It was the first thing that I knew that I really loved. And at that time, I didn't think of it as a career. Um, I was still very young. I was 10 years old. I just knew this is something that I loved, and this is something that I am passionate about. And that's how it all started. And then later on in my life, um, I came across Dr. Michio Kaku's documentaries uh, about string theory and about particle physics and about astrophysics. And I was so in love with his documentaries. They were so fascinating. I mean, he talks about time, like time travel and how time runs differently for you and for me if we're going at different speeds. And that, to me, that concept was so fascinating because it really challenged my thought about our world. It really challenged what we think. So to me, this was incredibly inspiring. And from that, I decided that I want to pursue my life studying this field. I really love that. Thank you. So then um, what was the age when you uh, moved to U.S.? So I was a freshman in high school, so I was 14 years old. And when I went to the U.S., I did not speak the language. So I struggled with the language. I struggled with the culture. And I had to build myself up as a freshman in high school. Um, and uh, I want to share a story that maybe not everybody knows about uh, in general for, you know, what, it's, what is it like to be an immigrant? What is it like to be a first-generation American? Your family dynamic is so different because you as a child become the parent. You as a child become the teacher. You teach your parents uh, the language. You teach them the culture. You teach them how to find a job, how to um, have a bank account. You, you are really the teacher there. And then you know, you as a student, you are still trying to find your voice. You're really starting to build yourself, to know yourself, to know what you like, to decide what you want to do. So you have all this responsibility on top of that. Um, and then you have to figure out your life and then learn everything in the process. So it was a, a very difficult time when I first got to the U.S., um, but I think it was what it needed, what I needed to become successful. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine, um, you know, being in high school is already so hard. <laughs> and being a girl in high school 
is so hard. And then being a girl in a foreign country and not knowing the language perfectly, um, I can imagine that, you know, it can be... It, I mean, I, I really admire that, um, you know, you still got through it and it didn't discourage you um, from pursuing science and you still wanted to... Because I can imagine that you've experienced a lot of difficult uh, situations uh, from that. I don't know, you know, your whole story and the people you've met along the way. Probably there were some people who encouraged you and some people who weren't that uh, supportive. But... Um, yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that. Um, yeah, and and then don't speak a lot about these journeys. Yeah, and I agree with you. And um, it's true that when you are a student who's just trying to learn the language at first, and you're in high school, and there is competition already, to and not just competition, but expectation for you to have you know good grades and go to college. And you're already behind because you're still learning the language and you're behind on your science classes and math classes and history classes because you spend most of your time learning English. I mean, it's difficult. And, and at some point, teachers might look at you and tell you, hey, I know you want to be, for example, a doctor or an engineer, but you might not be able to make it because you're so behind on everything. So you do meet people that encourage you. And I, and I have. I met incredible teachers I met incredible friends, incredible mentors that actually pushed me to be where I am today. And I have met those that told me, hey, Lara, you are so behind on your studies, you're not going to be able to catch up. And for you, that's going to be a choice that you have to make. Do I think I can make it or do I think that I can't? And it's up to you to make that choice. So for me, I believed in myself and I knew that I can make it. So I did. Yeah, I really love that. Thank um, you. Yeah, I guess, you know, believing in yourself makes all the difference because, um, you know, I've met so many people uh, that told me that what I'm doing is stupid and it, a lot of things can get to you, whatever your dream is if it's you know um pursuing science or becoming an actor or just starting a youtube channel i think there are a lot of people who can be very discouraging and then they can you know not even realize that because you know your teacher just said uh lara i'm afraid you're falling behind uh and some of the people when it comes to like starting a youtube channel can say oh there's so much competition here i don't think you will get any subscribers because there's a sea of youtube channels and those people can you know just be i don't know they want to share your opinion and they not intentionally they can discourage you and mm. harm you and harm your strife and your dreams so much and they can do it completely unknowingly which blows my mind that we can hurt one another so much without even realizing it absolutely i'm just absolutely no that's that's very true very true and that kind of scar stays with you because you'll still you will always remember those people that tell that told you you cannot do it you will always remember them 
So it stays with you, even if you're successful, even if you made it, uh, you still look back and remember those people. And um, I don't think it's healthy for students, especially for high school students, to tell them those words. I think it's best to, as a teacher, it's best to encourage your students and push them forward and believe in them. I completely, completely agree. Um, and I, like I said, I don't know how many times already, I really admire you because, you know, um, I can imagine that being a female immigrant striving to become an astrophysicist cannot be easy. Um, so I guess I want to ask you to delve into more, uh, what was your experience with pursuing science in a foreign country? And what has that journey taught you about yourself and also the world that we are currently living in? So I think I've had an incredible experience pursuing science here in the U.S. I mean, I've always found people that were so encouraging, always found um, those that really believed in me. Uh, I had many mentors and, and teachers and professors that supported me. And here in the U.S., there's so many opportunities for you. There are internships, there are programs, um, there are volunteer opportunities that you can participate in, research too. You can actually participate in and really make a difference. You could publish a research paper, work with somebody to do something incredible. So here in the U.S., there's so many incredible opportunities for you being in STEM. And astrophysics and just being a woman in STEM in general taught me that I am a resilient person. And I have to be resilient in order for me to succeed. Um, I keep failing and I keep getting up. And I think this is the key to success in my opinion. I think a successful person is going to fail. And that's okay. It's part of the process. You're going to fail. And it's okay. You just have to get back up and do what you always do. And in my opinion, I think this is the key to success. So this is something that I that I learned from being a woman in STEM. Um, um, and go ahead. Would you mind uh, speaking a little bit more about those moments where, when you felt like um, I cannot, I cannot go forward. I felt, I feel so bad. Uh, it's not like I just want to talk about, you know, these dark moments, but I think a lot of listen, the, all of the listeners can um, relate to them and uh, relate to that. And I think um, hearing about how you overcame those moments when you felt like, I don't want, I really don't want to do this anymore. I think it can motivate a lot of people. So, uh, what was that, that like the one of the biggest um, moments of fe feeling discouraged? Yeah, so actually right after high school, I started applying to different universities. And I was just very excited and I, I thought I was going to make it. And I was rejected everywhere from all the universities I applied to. And... To me, this was really soul-crushing because I thought I was going to be a scientist. I thought I was going to be able to make a difference. And I know that I have the motivation to do that, but nobody believed in me. Not 
you know, some of the teachers did not believe in me. I got rejected from all those universities. And I was just like, what am I going to do right now? This is such a failure. I'm such a failure. And that was the moment where I needed to change. I needed to change my mindset. I needed to accept that failure is part of the process. So by changing my mindset, um, I was able to sit with my thoughts and set some attainable goals. So for example, my only option at that time was to apply for a community college. And in order for you to apply and get accepted to a community college, you need to have your high school diploma or you need to be 18 years or older. Those were the only requirement. So um, I applied for a community college. I started studying in a community college. And my goal was to get straight A's every semester. And that's what I did. And I kept working really hard at those small attainable goals that I set for myself. And after graduating from a community college, after two years of being there, I applied to be a transfer student to a university. And uh, there are some universities that I get accepted into and there are some that I get rejected. And that's okay. You just have to keep moving forward. So I took my wins where I could get them. And I started attending the university, George Mason University, that I got accepted into. And um, I kept uh, being persistent and I kept... Um, trying to get good grades. So I started participating in research. I started studying very, very hard. And sometimes I would drop a class because I think it's too difficult for me. Um, and sometimes I would just keep going and tell myself, hey, just focus on studying the material, have study group, you can make it. And after that, I was able to graduate from George Mason University, which was the university that rejected me at first as a top 1% of my class, of my graduating class. So it's all about your mindset. It's all about you knowing that you have to do this and you putting the work and the effort to be there. I think your story can be, is like a, like a hero's journey, you know, that we see in the movies. Um, and I hope, you know, you can be a motivation to all the people out there um, in community colleges, which I think a lot of people don't appreciate uh, enough. Um, because, you know, right now, well, most of the listeners probably don't know, but, you know, you've been working a bit at NASA and at CERN. And I think <laughs> it's so amazing. And a lot of people, when they are, you know, in a community college, they, they feel like, oh, I what can I do now? You know, I, I there's n no nothing that I can do, which going to be, which is going to be, um, uh, something that I want to do from now on. And your story is a proof that with persistence and with hard work, uh, you can get to amazing, amazing places and situations in life. Um, and even if other people don't believe in you, the only thing that you need to do is believe in yourself. <laughs> uh, it sounds kind of cheesy, but it's, it is true. Um, exactly. I think also I wanted to speak a bit about um, astrophysics and, and that field. 
in the way of uh, equality uh, and gender equality, mm-hmm. because I think uh, nowadays there are a lot of female scientists speaking up uh, and fighting for gender equality in mm-hmm. their fields, which, which obviously is a great thing and uh, that we are starting to have these discussions more. And I'm curious because I don't know, <clears throat> do you think that astrophysics is inviting equally to both uh, female and male scientists um, and treating them equally as well? And if not, uh, how can we change that and encourage more girls and even uh, more people of color to pursue science? Uh, This is an amazing question, Julia. So thank you for asking this question. Um, Personally, I cannot speak for other women's experience and what is it like to be in, in STEM for other women, but I can only speak for my own opinion and experience. Um, I do not think that the field discriminates. I, I do think and I do believe that the field is inviting and encouraging to both men and women. And um, in, in my own experience, I met incredible professors. And when they saw my passion in the field, they really helped me through it. I think the field offers more opportunities for women than struggles. In fact, there are many scholarships, many internships just dedicated for women in STEM because now everybody's trying to close that gap. Um, There is a gap, right? So, you know, when you walk into a class or when you go to an internship, you see that there are a lot more men than women. I personally went into a class where I was the only woman in that class But that really did not bother me. Um, You just have to accept that and you have to know how to work with the other gender. So I I remember I took a general theory of relativity class and I was the only woman there and I walked into the class and I saw a bunch of guys standing there and I came to them and I was like, hey, can I be your friend? Can I sit next to you? And they were like, yeah, sure. (laughs) So I thought they were really Mm. encouraging and we ended up studying together and having... you know, study groups together, and that was not an issue for me. Um, I think one thing that we can change or focus on is to encourage young girls and young women to be strong and to be tough and to be able to work with men. Um, I think some women feel intimidated or isolated when working with men, and um, they. I want to tell them that they do not have to feel that way. You can work with men, and you will find a lot of people that will appreciate you. So um, sometimes it's all about looking at the glass that's half full. Yeah, completely. I completely agree. Um, because um, I, I I, don't identify myself as a nerd, although I am, I am a bit. Uh, but I think I am very, I'm a very curious person and science, biology, astrophysics, uh, chemistry, they're just such amazing fields. And I, I personally got a lot from pursuing science, just, you know, as a complete amateur. Um, and I want to use this platform that I have and the voice that I have to encourage more girls uh, to pursue that because uh, 
at all of girls don't think it's glamorous enough or mm. that it it pays well or that they can even do it or they feel like they will be made fun of for for doing it and i hope that this podcast and this episode can be a help to all of uh, the female and not only female um it's one of the uh, groups that is um not well nowadays but you know with all of the things that were happening the black lives matter movement mm -hmm. and now uh, with all of the you know uh, heartbreaking asian hate uh there are a lot of minorities that feel like they don't belong and they they cannot pursue their dreams because you know, basically they don't feel safe. And if you don't feel safe, you, you cannot even think uh, about pursuing your dreams. So exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I just think that these conversations are important. Exactly. And I, and I think that, you know, for us, we need to mentor and teach those young girls to be strong, find their voice and stand up for themselves. I mean, this is what they are going to need to, um, to be successful in STEM fields. They need to be strong. They need to not feel intimidated. They need to be empowered. And I think it's upon us to be able to mentor those young girls so they can pursue their dreams if their dreams were to pursue a field in STEM. Yeah, and to help all of the people who are curious mm. about astrophysics, what do you think are the most common misconceptions about astrophysicists and also pursuing astrophysics as a career path? That's a wonderful question, Julia. Uh, so I think a lot of people do not pursue this field because they think that there are no jobs in the field. And if they pursue astrophysics, they're going to be broke scientists. Um, and that was a misconception that I had at first too. But the truth is that even though astrophysics jobs are competitive. If you have a degree in physics or astronomy or astrophysics, you will find something. It might not be exactly, you know, studying black holes, for example, or exactly in the astrophysics field, but there's always a job for you. You know, you can end up working for Google or Facebook developing algorithms. You can end up working as a software engineer or as a business analyst or as a science communicator of some sort. Um, there are so many opportunities for you because people would want to take you because you have the physics background, you have that STEM background. Um, so you're not going to be a broke scientist, but at the same time, you might not be able to, for example, work on black holes. Uh, so that was a misconception that I had at first too. Um, another thing that I would want to talk about is that um, a lot of people think that many uh, students get opportunities because they are smart. So you get accepted into NASA because you're smart or you work for CERN because you're smart. That's actually not true at all. I mean, you do have to be smart, but that's not everything. It's all about connection and building your network. It's all about who you know. So you as a young scientist, you have to go out of your way to talk to professors, to connect with professors, to connect with researchers, to uh, have meaningful conversations with them, sharing your contact information so they remember you. So then 
In the future, if you want to work for NASA or if you want to work for CERN, you can reach back out to them and tell them, hey, do you remember me? We had this conversation some time ago. Right now, I am applying for NASA. Do you think they're hiring right now? Do you think the qualifications that I have fit with the qualifications that they're looking for? And those people can come in and they can actually help you. They can help you modify your application. They can help you, you know, sometimes they would say, well, you're not qualified, but this is these are the steps that you can do to become qualified. And then you can go and do that and then reapply and then you will get in. Um, so it's a lot about networking. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people, I think, don't do. Uh, one last thing is that you, uh, you cannot do it alone. So a lot of people think that if I am smart, I'll be able to make it. Um, you know, it's not necessarily true. You need people that will guide you and help you. So um, I think if, if I want to talk about why I am uh, successful in this field, I would give credits to my mentor. I have a mentor. She's my research advisor, and she's the person that pushed me to move forward. She uh, she showed me where to apply. She introduced me to people that could help me with my applications. So um, it's about the people too. You need people. You need supporters to be able to really make it. Yeah. I made a whole episode about uh, the importance of people in our lives mm -hmm. uh, because I think this is so important. My One of my favorite quotes is that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And I yes. think it's so, so true. And we don't, when we want to pursue something and we have a goal, even if it's um, getting more fit or eating healthier or getting into the college that we want or doing some sort of research, we often underestimate the importance of surrounding ourselves with the right people. Mm -hmm. Because uh, if you spend the, your time with people who um, just, you know, go party all the time and that's what they like to do most uh, of their time, I'm not saying that it's wrong, but that's what you're going to end up doing for most of your day. Mm -hmm. And that is something I think it's important to keep in mind uh, when making goals. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Okay, so I think we all know that there is a lot of things currently going on right now in the field of astrophysics. But I feel like we all read about, for example, you know, Mars rover landing and we nod our heads and we pretend that we all know how big of an achievement this is. Uh, but actually, you know, a lot of times when we, uh, uh, I'm, when I say we, I mean we all uh, little people who don't uh, study uh, this field and we don't, I think we don't appreciate uh, uh, how big, how much we improved in the past like 50 years. Uh, just I think we made such, such big improvement. Um, so can you break down some of the latest astrophysical breakthroughs and help me and the listeners understand them properly? So as a black hole researcher, I'm going to talk about something that was uh, such a breakthrough in astrophysics, which, as some of you know, the first 
image of the black hole. So um, many people don't know how that image came to be, and I can give a very brief description on that. Um, so that image came from an incredibly sophisticated scientific collaboration called the Event Horizon Telescope. And that collaboration involved around 200 scientists in 20 different countries. And those countries have been working together for nearly a decade. So for a telescope, the larger the diameter of the telescope, or the aperture, the greater its ability to gather more light and the higher the resolution. So for example, in our case, if we want to capture the image of the black hole, we would need uh, a telescope with a diameter that's comparable to the diameter of the planet Earth. And currently we do not have that kind of telescope. Our telescopes are very small yeah. and scattered. But the idea was to use arrays of telescopes all over the world and synchronize them together to capture that image of the black hole. So those uh, different telescopes all across the world, they will work together as a team and act as if they are one telescope with a diameter of the planet Earth. So um, those 20 telescopes, they worked together and they gathered terabytes of data. And because there was a big data problem there, an algorithm was necessary to synchronize the data and uh, basically put them together. And of course, you have heard of Katie Bowman. She was the woman that led uh, the development of the algorithm. And that algorithm was incredibly sophisticated. What it did is that it filled the gaps in those images without bias. Because, uh, you know, with the idea of a lot of telescopes coming together to create this one image, um, there was a lot of gaps in that image because those telescopes are scattered all over the world. And that, algorithms and that algorithm was able to collect... Uh, to collect those images from the different telescopes and fill out the gaps missing in those images. And coming up with the first image of the black hole was revolutionary in astrophysics, revolutionary in black hole research, because we actually saw exactly what we expect and basically verified that our equations and our research and what we're doing lines with what with what we see. Yeah, and for all the listeners who haven't had the chance to see that picture, uh, which, well, you have to be living <laughs> under a rock to not have seen it. But uh, anyways, I will uh, also link that picture in the episode description so you can check it out. Um, and yeah, I've, I've seen some memes also when with the like kind of estimated paintings or drawings or, or art of uh, black holes and how it looks uh, like uh, in that picture. And it was like a comparison, you know, how um, your profile picture versus your profile picture <laughs> on Facebook and uh, yeah. And, and then uh, your uh, picture in the driver's <laughs> license. And that was uh, the comparison. And it's like just, you know, nerd, nerd uh, humor. See, I think I a lot of people were very disappointed at the picture because they expect to see this, uh, artistic painting of the black hole and they just saw something that looks like a 
a, a Halloween donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot of people were very disappointed with that. But you have to think beyond that. Just think about how far we have come. I mean, the the black hole that we were looking at, um, it's, a, it's a massive galaxy um, in a Virgo cluster, actually. And that black hole is so far away. So us being able... So us being able to capture that image is so revolutionary. So just give us some more time and we'll get you the amazing photos in the future. <laughs> yeah, and appreciate how big of an achievement this is uh, because I think it's crazy. And I do really think that um, astrophysics is starting to become a topic that more and more people talk about in the media and you know with uh, for example Elon Musk uh, mm -hmm. getting a lot of uh, money his money into the research um, and um, you know working toward getting people uh, into space I think this topic and black holes and and NASA uh, is a topic that a lot of people know more about and I think as they get more interested they start to research how this field works and from what I've seen uh, online a lot of people are baffled when they realized the amount of money that gets into that research and um, some of them get angry because uh You know, it's a big numbers and they feel like it can it could go into other fields like, like medicine. And I don't know if I agree with those people, but I think it's a, it's a valid point. Um, and I'm not going to say which field is more important, but um, I wanted to ask you, what is your answer to people who wonder why it is so important to explore the universe? So I agree with you on that point, and I agree that this is actually a difficult question, and I admit that I personally had doubts during my journey and definitely questioned why I'm pursuing such a field um, because sometimes you lose that sight. So, you know, I, I wondered, you know, how is my research in black holes going to change people's life? Because at the end of the day, we want jobs that provide services for people. This is the kind of job that is going to make us feel fulfilled. Um, but I have two points to answer this question. So the, the first one is astrophysics is a field that is driven by curiosity. And curiosity is a natural instinct that we people have. So um, because we are so curious, we do what we do. And um, some of us choose to do science communication, which is incredibly important because communicating space discoveries and communicating about black holes and our world and the shape of space-time, those very interesting topic is going to inspire people to look up at the stars and wonder. It's going to inspire them to ask big questions and think thoughtfully about our very existence. It's going to inspire them to live in the moment and appreciate life. And this can change people's life and really inspire them. So I, I think as an aspiring astrophysicist, I think this is a big responsibility that we have. We have to inspire people. We have to 
educate them about the things that we are learning, the things that we are finding, and hope that they can to look at the world from an, another lens. So this is my first point. The second point is that curiosity drives innovation. So we as scientists, we're developing tools, we are writing code, we're solving mathematical equations, we're working with engineers to build rockets and uh, what we create uh, to explore the universe. So all those things that we are working on, all those things that we are making, actually we can use in everyday life. Um, for example, uh, did you know that the algorithm on your GPS, on your phone that you use every day, I use my GPS every day, is actually based on Einstein's general theory of relativity. Uh, I think a lot of people don't know that fact, but because... I didn't know that. I, you know, <laughs> I'm guilty of not knowing that. Yes, so that theory that is highly theoretical and, you know, people argue that it's not applicable except for outer space, we actually use it in GPS system. And that's because time is relative and we need to take into account that fact for a more accurate prediction. For example, uh, quantum theory of solids. So that that theory led to uh, the invention of semiconductors and computer chips and the computer that we use every day. <laughs> uh, nuclear magnetic resonance that's uh, leading to MRI imaging. So we're actually helping medicine and helping saving people's lives. Um, the particle accelerators leading to beams for cancer treatment. Here again, we're saving people's life. Uh, machine learning, which is a topic that is very popular today, um, was introduced when we run into big data problem when working with astronomical data. And now machine learning is used everywhere, everywhere from, you know, search engines, Google, Facebook, uh, financial industries. Um, I mean, we are, you know, that curiosity that we people have is really driving innovation. And, you know, our goal is to explore the universe, but we take those tools and everything that we created and we can actually apply it in our lives, in medicine, in GPS, in other areas of life. And those are the things that I mentioned. Those are just the few examples that I have. But there, you know, there are a lot more. And the more that we're going to um, discover and the more that we're going to create, we can actually use in our life every day. That's going to really help improve our life here. I'm so happy you answered this question, this question exactly <laughs> how I wanted you to because uh, I wanted to provide all of this all of these, you know, um, examples and, you know, you have to thank all of these um, amazing astrophysicists for your Wi-Fi because um, the invention of Wi-Fi can also, for from my research, I might be wrong, but it can be traced um, to, um, to astrophysics and wanting to... Um, connect the telescopes if i'm correct that is what i've read online recently so i think yeah to all the haters out there <laughs> right now you, <laughs> to, you know to all the haters out there actually astrophysics will help you it's going to help you in your daily life so um please appreciate <laughs> that <laughs> yeah to all the haters out there you are hating only because uh, of astrophysics because you have uh <laughs> the wi-fi <laughs> um 
I expect that you spend a lot of the time learning and studying uh, about space. And I'm curious, how has that knowledge translated to your personal life? And I guess, uh, in other words, what has the universe taught you about yourself? Uh, that's such a beautiful question, Julia, and I'm so happy you asked that question. <laughs> um, and you're right, I spent a significant time, uh, especially in my early 20s, uh, reading those popular books and watching documentaries about uh, the universe and about the different theories that really did make a huge difference in my life. So as an immigrant who was born and raised in Iraq and lived in the war and, you know, so very ugly things there, um, I think I was broken and I dealt with depression for about 10 years of my life. That's a very significant number. I mean, I'm only 25 years old now, so 10 years for me is a big number. Um, and I was at that time going through a really dark time. But learning about the universe had taught me that the world is a beautiful place. And there's just so much, so much to see out there. Um, it really made me think about living in the moment and appreciate what, what we see. I mean, if we just take a moment and look at the stars above and uh, appreciate the light that we see coming, knowing that actually the stars that we see, they're lights from the past. Uh, this is a fact that not a lot of people know, but all those stars that you see in the night sky, you're looking in the past because light takes time to travel. And by the time that it gets to us here on planet Earth, those stars have already been died and, and and gone so just appreciating those small beautiful moments and thinking about them really gave me a lot of hope so I started shifting my focus from war depression and struggles to looking and appreciating the beauty of the universe and I, I do believe that uh, being an aspiring astrophysicist had become such a big part of my personality uh, because I I became a happy person and I became a positive person. And what I try to do is to influence and inspire people on a daily basis, like friends, family, or the people that I meet. I mean, I tell them, you know, beautiful story. I, I encourage them to see the beauty, to live in the moment, to appreciate the world and, and to really appreciate what it has to offer. And, um, and because of that, you know, I, I gained a reputation in my community as you know the star girl <laughs> people call me the star girl uh, mm -hmm. because i i do talk a lot a lot uh about my experience and, and i encourage people to learn about these topics too they're it's very inspiring i think it's very inspiring and this is something that you can yeah, take from it <laughs> absolutely i think your passion for space and stars and and just science, I think it's contagious. Uh, and as I texted you, it's contagious even when um, I listen to your podcast because um, I guess I didn't say that in this episode. I don't know why. But Lara has her new podcast, which is a very good listen, uh, which also, of course, will be linked in the show notes. And I I really do feel like your passion and just I can hear how transformative has um, space been for you and it is really inspirational and motivating 
and not just if you want to pursue science I mean that if that's what you want to do it's great but I think it's also um, your example of what happens when a person is doing what they're supposed to be doing when even though there are a lot of holdbacks and a lot of people who don't want you to succeed you you can overcome that and I think that can be very inspirational and can inspire a lot of people who are struggling with achieving whatever they dream uh, may be um but moving I guess uh from these dream escapes and uh <laughs> all the pretty things I want to get back on earth mm-hmm. did, did you see that I I love that <laughs> <laughs> I love that pun intended um <laughs> because um I guess there are obviously a lot of resources in space like precious compounds or metals uh because you know everything we have on earth came from space basically uh, if i can you know um show off my knowledge uh from the big bang we had only three elements and then from the universe and from uh basically stars exploding Mm -hmm. we had all the things we have right now Mm -hmm. and basically there's a lot of things we can get from space which we are currently lacking um on earth and do you think that outer space can be an answer to humanity's problem with you know running out of resources which we are and climate change and also sustainability that's such a great question julia um so I'm just going to talk about my opinion and what I think. And I'm sure that a lot of people are going to disagree with that. But I think that the outer space is not going to help us in this way. I do not think so. I think many of us hope to, for example, colonize Mars. And people are so excited about that idea. And they fantasize, you know, that one day they get to walk on uh, Mars's surface. And... um, you know, this is something, this is a fantasy and Elon Musk is definitely pushing that for people. But I think that there is nothing like the planet Earth. I mean, our planet has just so much beauty and so much resources and we cannot find anything like our planet uh, anywhere else. And it's something that we take for granted. Um, And in the future, this is what we're going to fantasize. We're going to fantasize having a clean planet like the planet Earth, a planet in which you can walk outside and take a breath and feel the sun and enjoy the weather and have a walk without having to wear like a spacesuit or anything like that. I think the moments that we're living right now, it's a moment that we're going to take for granted. So, you know, I I think this is a wake-up call for us to not take our planet for granted and really push to protect the environment and to protect the resources. Um, I mean, even if we talk about finding a planet like the planet Earth, right, and colonizing that, and we actually have, we have found a planet that looks like our planet called uh, Kepler. Yeah, the Kepler yeah, something, something. Yeah, the Kepler uh, 452b, I had to Google that, um, yeah. which is 1,400 light years away. 1,400 is a big number. I mean, we can't travel nearly half of the speed light or quarter of the speed light. So think about the time that would take us to reach that. And 
you know, if we are on that journey to reach Kepler, for example, um, you know, we're going to spend generations and generations just living on a spaceship, right? And hoping to find something that is like the planet Earth. So maybe instead yeah. of doing that, let's I am so, I'm so happy you you again you answered the question perfectly. <laughs> yeah. So so instead of doing that, let's just focus on protecting our planet because there's nothing that's as beautiful and as perfect as the planet Earth that we have. So I encourage all of you guys to really take that step and protect what we have. Um, you know, even if you think about the resources out there. Um, like, uh, I know in some planets, I forgot which one, but some planet rains diamonds. Um, <laughs> wow. That would no, that's Yeah, it rains diamonds. But think about the resources that will take you to, like, go there and get the diamonds and come back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not worth it other than because of the large yeah. distances. It's not worth it. So let's sit here, use our resources wisely, appreciate what we have. Oh my gosh, you are so good at this. You are just, you know, checking out of the boxes. I think exactly what I guess wanted you to answer. Because um, when I first, um, you know, when people started to talk about colonizing Mars mm -hmm. and going there and, um, you know, using it as an escape or, or the moon or something, uh, the first... My first thought was, oh my God, we are going to fuck up another planet <laughs> um, because we have the most amazing planet in our closest, I would say, uh, universe or, or space because, you know, obviously there are um, a lot of other planets, but in our closest proximity, we have an amazing planet and we are thinking about escaping it mm -hmm. and escaping from it and um you know a lot of people think about life on mars but not in a way that there is life on mm -hmm. mars but that it used to and that mars used to be like our beautiful earth and now it's not and i think mars can be this i guess example of what can happen if we don't treat earth very well i mean obviously mars uh didn't die the, the life on mars if it existed didn't die because uh, you know there was climate change but uh i think the way mars looks like right now in the future can be what you know earth might look like if we don't respect it and i think you know they there are people who uh, hope to get gold from asteroids mm. or uh, just you know right escape uh, and and look for other places where we can live and I mean I I love your curiosity and I love that people are trying to do something but I think our energy should be put into um, lowering our greenhouse gases emission and mm. and turning into uh, sustainable ways of producing energy and all of the things that we actually can do and we are capable of doing you know these these things might cost a bit more uh but you know cost is uh, money is a concept that we invented for ourselves so we can also <laughs> make it you know work for us and not against 
us. Uh, I think it's, you know, Yuval Noah Harari, uh, you know, said uh, his books are a good reminder that there are a lot of these stories that we have, that we tell ourselves that are stopping us, for example, money, but we forget that these are the concepts. Money isn't real. This is just a concept that we invented for ourselves to be able to trade, to be able to have economics. And I guess I'm going on all of these tangents here, but I'm just trying to say that, you know, sure, we should be curious and we should explore space, but we should also remember about our home and uh, taking care of it uh, is important because in our closest, um, I guess, environment <laughs> or our closest uh, galaxies, there is mm-hmm. anything like it. Exactly. And, and you know, I think what Elon Musk is doing is great. I mean, he's inspiring people. And I think that's what, um, you know, space scientists should do. You know, that's a big responsibility for space scientists is to inspire people and to get them curious. Um, and also he's driving innovation, which is also really great. Um, I think that's also what uh, space scientists should do to drive innovation. Uh, so he's he's doing just great work. But, you know, thinking about colonizing Mars and leaving Earth, I, I don't think that's something that we, that's a direction that we want to go to. I, I think we should put more resources, more effort in staying here while, you know, explore other places. You know, it's okay to explore other places. Just to put the planet Earth as a priority, protect the planet Earth. Yeah. If you are wondering how we can shift our, you know, economics and how we can turn it to using renewable energy, I think Bill Gates uh, has released his new book, I think like a week ago. It's called How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. I have not uh, had the chance to read it yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. And I think it can be a good source of knowledge if you are, uh, you know, wondering how uh, we can move um, from, I think about something like 50 billion tons of greenhouse gas emission uh, to zero, because that's the basic concept uh, of his book to uh, get into zero emissions. um, That's incredible. In like 30 years, I think. That's incredible. Yeah, I... his book is a really good. He has a lot of these uh, ways that we can improve, like uh, green concrete and um, you know uh, meat cultivation from cells. So many things that can help us on the way there. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I've never read the book, but I definitely I'll definitely put it on my list to read. I mean, it sounds like uh, it's something that we all need to read. Yeah. And I have to take advantage of the fact that I have a real scientist here with me and ask you about some of the, quote, basic uh, concepts in astrophysics. Because I, as I've said before, I've been reading a lot about space lately, but I still feel mm-hmm. like I don't, I didn't grasp all the concepts properly. And I think that a lot of, a lot of the listeners can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't want this episode to be extremely long. But before we part ways, could you explain at least one or two of the, 
important concepts like, for example, dark energy or dark matter or something else that you think a lot of people don't really have a good understanding on. Yeah, sure. Uh, actually, uh, thank you for the suggestion for dark energy and dark matter. So this, I, I myself, I'm very fascinated by that concept and it's something that I do want to pursue in grad school. Um, I don't have, you know, the necessary knowledge to speak a lot about it, but, you know, something that I've read about many times and on my way to learn more. Um, I think what's really fascinating about, for example, dark matter is that it's a matter that make up 95% of the universe, yet you can't see it. So everything that you see right now, everything that you see in outer space, all that is only 5% of the matter in the universe. I mean, imagine how important this is. And uh, right now, has, there has been research on trying to detect that. And, uh, uh, you know, go back, you know, th this all goes back to the fundamental particles. So the standard model, I don't know if you, if you are familiar with that, but the standard model uh, uh, of I elementary particles. I don't, I'm not familiar. Uh, so uh, another passion of mine, a, a very big passion is actually particle physics. I think particle physics is super fascinating and I got into it uh, because of string theory that's uh, that's kind of uh, where a lot of my passion started. So um, the standard model of elementary particles talks about all the fundamental particles in the universe. And um, it's almost complete. So what we have missing is the particle, the elementary particle for gravity. And, you know, the hypothetical name for it is graviton. And we're still on the hunt to look for that particle. And the idea is that if we're able to find that particle at CERN, so you know, by colliding, colliding different particles, um, if we're able to find that particle, this is going to help us significantly in understanding dark matter. Um, and, you know, it's kind of difficult right now because uh, graviton is very difficult to detect and we need a very large diameter, larger than the size of Earth. Um, another way to detect dark matter, which I think is really fascinating, called um, gravitational lensing. So, um, you know, think about the universe and think about the, uh, the universe as in there is a dark, a dark object or objects that create a curvature in space-time fabric. So they, they bend the space-time fabric and you can't see them because they're dark, but the lights coming from behind them, for example, a star or a galaxy, when it comes towards us, that mass that's creating that curvature is bending and distorting that light. So, you know, we see we see that light bent. And if we take a picture of galaxies, if you take an image of galaxies, you could see that those galaxies look kind of distorted, kind of like an arc shape instead of a circular or oval shape. And that phenomenon called gravitational lensing, that dark matter is causing curvature in space-time fabric, which is bending the light, making, you know, objects like galaxies look a little bit funny. <laughs> so uh, I think, yeah, yeah it's, I, it's mind blowing. I, I love, I love that phenomena. I think it's just incredible, kind of scary. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, kind of scary to think about, but that's what's I happening mean, out when there. When I mm-hmm. think about how the universe is vast and how black holes are powerful and that we're probably going to hit the Andromeda galaxy in, uh, I mean, a couple of billion years, but, you know, sometime, I just feel like the universe is scary. Like, everything is scary. Not only just, mm-hmm. you know, um, I guess the light bending, but I get, like... It's fascinating and mm-hmm. also at the same time absolutely terrifying. <laughs> um, or like uh, something that uh, um, actually I received a lot of comments from my first um, podcast about black holes. So I kind of described what would happen to the human body if they fall inside the black hole. And a lot of people yeah, a lot that. of people told me that you should make it more like descriptive because you know people are into those like really <laughs> scary <laughs> kind of vis- vicious topics <laughs> so i got a lot of comments about uh you know you should like make it very visual and talk about you know what happens to your body as you fall inside the black hole and that kind of makes me shiver so, yeah i mean mm-hmm. uh you said that the person would basically turn into a spaghetti right yeah spaghettification that's a scientific term so you will stretch <laughs> vertically, compress horizontally, become like a spaghetti, and then you just kind of rip apart. Uh, so people want oh, it, yeah. Okay, people so want it more details um, on that. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you're driving and you see a sign uh, that says "black hole," well, maybe turn the other way. Uh, let me just <laughs> consider that. Uh, Still a mystery. I, w- I Still wouldn't. a mystery. Yeah, I don't want to become a part of the singularity i guess i prefer my life here on earth with my space and my time and you know having uh, the ability to talk and uh, i guess not be a spaghetti <laughs> um well lara this has been such a pleasure i say that uh, with I mean, each of my guests, but I think I love all my guests, but this, I think this has been my favorite experience so far uh, with this podcast. And thank you so much. I am, I'm very grateful to you that uh, you took the time and to come here, talk to me and explain all of everything and and to the and, and answer all of the questions that i have um thank you uh, so much for for coming absolutely and honestly it has been a pleasure for me to to come here and speak about my experience and the field that i'm incredibly passionate about and to get to meet a wonderful person like you julia so it's been such a pleasure oh, really you. enjoyed chatting with you really enjoyed talking to you so thank you so much for inviting me to speak here I guess before we part ways, would you like to plug anything that you do or recommend something to the listeners or ask them to do something or just some kind of general, I don't know, uh, quote that would you like to share? Anything uh, of your final thoughts? Um, I think as you're listening right now, to this podcast I just want you to think about the life that you have here um, I mean I think I, I want to inspire you to think about the life that you have here to live in the moment and I want to tell you that if you're going through a hard time and if your life is difficult right now just 
pause and take the moment and live. Appreciate what you have right now because now you're the youngest that you're ever going to be. This is something that astrophysics ha taught me and I want to teach you that too. Live life, love life, appreciate what you have. There is light at the end of the tunnel. Or, you know, if you are in a, a black hole, then no, there's no light. <laughs> I then maybe not. <laughs> but we're here now. So, we're here on Earth. So. No, but, but here on Earth, there is. I, I love that. Thank you. Thank you so much again for thousands of times. Uh, and I guess I'll speak to you very, very soon. This was so much fun. I really hope I can have her as a guest in the future. If you too liked uh, this conversation, let me know on Instagram or by email. Let me know also what you would like us to talk about in the future if we ever get together again. Because I would love to do a little Q&A session with her where she provides answers to all of your scientific and not only scientific inquiries. And also be sure to go to the episode description to find Lara's new podcast, which is called Mesopotamian Star Show Podcast. And also find her Instagram. I know you cannot tell through the podcast And it's definitely not the most interesting thing about her, but Lara is also a gorgeous human being. So her Instagram is definitely a bonus to the already impressive collection of things to check out about her. So for the last time, thank you, Lara, for being here on the show. And now let's move on to the insights of this week. And because since the first episode was released, There have been a number of new listeners that started listening to this podcast, which I am forever grateful for. But to all of you new listeners, I love you and thanks so much for joining us. And I know it might be a bit confusing, so I will now explain the insights of this week's segment to all of you. So in the insight of the week, I talk about my epiphany or my thoughts on something that I learned about myself or about the world in general in the last week. It can be something that I experienced myself or it can be a quote that I came upon or just a general truth that I realized. So for example, my insight of this week was that The main function of our memory might not be understanding the past, but predicting the future. So I came upon a study about this, and the title was Understanding the Dynamics and Destiny of Memories. And I came upon that through a newsletter. I think it was David Perel's newsletter. So if you think about it, Our memories are notoriously fallible. We trick ourselves and we forget things all of the time. I definitely do. I even read the book Moonwalking with Einstein about, you know, improving our memory. And I think, I mean, I liked it, but there wasn't really a lot of practices and like tangible advice on what you should do to improve your memory there was like the 
practices you can do to like remember things if you want to you know take part in memory competitions but like you know the book ends with the other telling you that actually he was after winning the world championships of memory or like u.s championships he was still forgetting things um so right we are very bad at remembering things and people don't remember the past with you know anything close to the fidelity they think they do and in the paper the authors argue that maybe the unreliability of memory is a feature and not a bug maybe the function of memory is predominantly to help us predict the future instead of remembering what happened in the past the authors conclude uh, that memories must be malleable in order to help act intelligently in a dynamic environment so our memories change with the passage of time and some events are reconsolidated and others are forgotten and the authors of this paper also said that after being retrieved a consolidated memory may become susceptible to modifications so maybe our brain keeps the memories and modificates our memories in order to make them help predict the future and i've never thought about it this way i just thought that something is wrong with my memory and i just don't remember all the things that i should be able to remember but maybe that's not what our memory is about so for example your memories from preschool could be just from these moments when you've learned something maybe you know you've remembered something very very vividly just because you've understood a social situation or it was you saw something pretty and all all of your other memories were not useful to your brain to help you predict the future to help you predict how the next flower that you picked up will be looking like or you know maybe in preschool you've understood how social situations work and how you should talk to your friends and maybe that's what you remember from preschool but all other things weren't that useful and maybe that's why you forgot them and I think that's so intriguing and I've never thought of it this way and I don't want to make this episode super long but I recommend you to consider that and have a quick thinking session about that topic or that phenomenon thank you so much for listening to this episode and i will speak to you very very soon is edited and produced by Julia Spor. If you want to learn more, visit the website attached in the show notes or visit our Instagram page, which you can also find in the show notes or just by searching being better on Instagram. 
if you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do that. The first one is just to tell your friends and family about the show. Tell them that you like it and that they should listen to it as well. You can also share it on your social media platform. And another way to support the show is to subscribe and write a review because that helps new listeners find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will speak to you in the next one.